Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's May 31st, and I'm your healthcare show host, Christine Hargis. I have healthcare contributor Todd Campbell on the line, who is freshly back from a vacation in Ireland. How was your trip? Oh, the, I tell you, if listeners, if you haven't been to Ireland, go. The people there are so wonderfully friendly and they're so welcoming. And it was just a great time. I mean, we, we went to Dublin and then we went up to Belfast and we went over to to Londonderry or Derry, depending on who you talk to. Um, and it was just it was a great time and the people were wonderful. And it was really interesting to see Northern Ireland because, you know, you in the past, of course, there's been a lot of troubles there. And and but boy, that's all behind them now. And it's just great people and just some wonderful things to see and do. That sounds awesome. I'm so glad you had a good time. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I wasn't the only one that was away. I mean, Christine and I both timed our vacations perfectly. Christine, you were away too, weren't you? <laughs> I, I didn't go quite as far, but this past weekend I was in Nashville and the weekend before that I was in Toronto. That's right. And, you know, you were going to listen to some great music, I believe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, Nashville has an incredible music scene. I mean, it's a probably fairly well known and shouldn't have been surprising to me, but I still was kind of blown away by just, you know, every single bar you go into or a restaurant or wherever you are, no matter what time of day it is, as long as it's not too early in the morning, you can go in and you can find really good live musicians. There is this one guy that we were listening to for a couple of hours one afternoon. His name is Tony Memel, and he sounds a lot like Counting Crows, which we all like. And so we ended up buying his CD. And on the 10-hour drive home, we listened to his CD just on repeat for probably like four of those hours. So really good music. I, I guess I'm going to go out. I'm sure some of our other uh, listeners are going to go out, right? And we're we're gonna we're gonna check this uh, this musician out. I will I will recommend the the game that we played with his CD, which was we are actually alternating between that and Counting Crows randomly. And the game we would play is which one is it? <laughs> and you know we got pretty good at it, so we we recognize ourselves some Tony now. But oh, you also, there we go. There you we some, go. Had some good music too, yeah. Yeah, you know, it, a little bit of a different style of music, but there's nothing better than sitting in a good old-fashioned Irish pub and listening to the to to them sing Irish music while you're you're pouring your or drinking a pint. I, I, it was amazing. just a wonderful time. It was a wonderful experience. And are you happy to be back? Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we're back, and we get to talk about. Um, you know, the market again, you know what, we love this stuff. So it's, it's, it's always fun. It's like uh, coming back from vacation, being able to dive right back in, especially uh, with our topic today. Yeah, it's always a little bit bittersweet. Like, you know, on vacation to end, but we're fortunate to really enjoy what we do for work. So it's kind of nice to come back. And as you alluded to, we've got a fun topic for today. It is the last day of May, as you guys all know, since I did say the date in the beginning of this podcast. And so we wanted to talk about the popular investing adage of sell in May and go away, which is a historical thing. It's It's been around for a long time. Um, it, its history actually comes all the way from London. And the full phrase is, sell in May and go away, come back on 
and I, I think I'm going to pronounce this wrong, but it's Selinger's Day, which is spelled St. Ledger's Day. And in my research of this, I'm pretty sure you're actually supposed to pronounce it Selinger, but my apologies if that is still not correct. But so this is a horse race that's known as Selinger, um, and it's run generally in mid September. And so the adage basically has this history of you know, traders in the summer, you know, your aristocrats, your, your merchants from a long, long time ago, they all vacationed in the summer. They were getting out of the city, trying to beat the heat. And so they would go away and they wouldn't come back until it was fall. And so the theory here is that if you sell out of all of your stocks in May and you don't rebuy them until October or even November 1st is a very popular buyback in date for people that believe in this theory, that you'll be better off. Right. And back in the day, Christine, I mean, it wasn't like you could take a, a six and a half hour flight to Ireland. I mean, you, you were, you were, if you were going away, you were going away for a while. So, and you didn't have the technology that we have today to be able to keep track of your portfolio and the stocks and do research. Um, so there were significant delays in getting access to information. That's, that's, that's obviously not what you want if you're, you're a, a, an active investor or an active trader, you know. Here at the Molly Fool, obviously, we embrace a long-term philosophy, right, Christine? So, I mean, we're we're not we're not the ones to to dive in and dive out of stock just because there happens to be an adage out there. But we also don't bury our heads in the sands to these things. And 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 you know, no matter where you are right now, if you're paying attention to the marketplace, you're hearing hearing this adage pop up. So you, you're probably asking yourself, okay, well. You know, is this something that I should be following or paying attention to or not? I mean, there is data out there, Christine, that, that backs up uh, even today the idea that, you know, performance tends to swoon, if you will, during the upcoming summer months. Yeah, it's really interesting if you look at the numbers behind this, because they do give some credibility to this theory. And and again, I do want to reiterate that we are long-term investors, and so we're, we're not going to dip in and out of stocks. But as you mentioned, Todd, and I think you did a great job of explaining this, it's still kind of important to check out these theories and look at their data and say, okay, is this a complete data set? You know, What might be missing from it? Um, you know, How can I apply this to my more long-term ideal? And so the the people that ran the data, I, I think for the first time is, or at least in the most well known sense, is from the Stock Traders Almanac, which used to be a book that was created in 1967. It's now a whole website. They do a lot of database trading strategies, and so they ran the numbers from 1950 all the way through 2014 and compared the two periods to see whether or not you might actually be better off not investing at all during those summer months. Yeah, and they found that you know if you if you break down average returns by month, you know there are are four months that since 1950 have negative returns on average, and three of them fall within this sell in May period. So you've got June, August, and September; uh, those are three negative months. So you know you say okay, well uh, they're negative, and you know on average you can you could lose money during those months. What would that mean to a portfolio? And if you look back and you say, okay, well, they, what would have happened if you took, say, $10,000, right? And you invested it from, you know, May <clears throat> through October or October through April, you know, would, would you make more or less money in either of those two periods? 
And with the Stock Traders Almanac, I found a, a couple of years. They update this data every year, but the you know, last one I have happens to be from, from the uh, 2015 uh, edition. And at that point in time, if you look over that 64-year period that they looked at, putting that $10,000 to work during the sell in May period, you actually would have lost money on a compound base. We lost like 678 bucks uh, if you had in, had been invested just during those months, the May through October um, months since 1950. And that was in the, in the Dow Jones industrials. Conversely, if you had had that money, that $10,000 invested in the period of October through April, then you would have ended up with you know eight hundred and sixteen thousand dollars. So when you when you look at the difference there, yeah, okay, that that that's that's you know significant enough where you know you might want to, uh, or it's definitely going to catch your eye, right? And and I think that one of the things that it reminds investors of is that, that you know if you if you have a big drop off of off of a high base, uh, it, it takes you know a lot much larger gain to make up for that drop. Right, a fifty percent drop will require a one hundred percent return to break even. Right, so that's what makes it really hard when you're looking at the compounding. Now, no one knows what months are going to be good or bad or 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 whatever. It, but it is, you know, interesting that so many of the months that are over time have been negative uh, fall within these summer months. And and you did a great job summing up, you know, historically why why that that theory the theory behind that. Uh, the vacation schedule and all of that. I think it's important, though, to also say that you know you're only looking at the Dow Jones Industrials with those numbers, and that's 30 stocks. And of course, the market is much bigger than that. And you know, if you broaden that out and you say, well, what would it, what would those dollars have looked like for the S&P 500? Uh, you would have made money. Uh, it wouldn't have been a lot, but you would have made you would have made money. Um, 6,800, I think, or something like that uh, for the S&P. So I think that. You know, you can't necessarily say I'm not going to be invested at all through the summer months, um, you know, because there is an opportunity for the for stocks to go up. And you really just don't know what any one year or not is is going to materialize. Right. And there are a lot of details that often get lost here. I mean, when you consider what actually goes into selling all of your stocks and then rebuying them back, for example, one thing that doesn't get included in these calculations are transaction costs. If you're selling a basket of, say, 30 stocks and buying them back, say you have a $7 transaction fee, that's going to cost you $420 a year just to actually buy in and out. And then what happens if all of a sudden it comes time to buy and you're in the middle of a broader market drop and now you're terrified of actually buying back in? Like, can you really commit to this? I, I you, yeah, you won't. You won't. Yeah. You know? I mean, the, I, Christina, it's, that's going to be the hardest thing that, for an investor, right? I mean, if, if, if you sold out and you see the market tumbling, uh, what's the likelihood that you're going to be you're going to say to yourself, you know, I'm going to rise up to the sticking point and put this money back to work? I mean, especially if you are somebody that does try to time the market, you're probably the exact same type of person that's not going to be able to buy back in. Yeah, and, and you know, there's also tax implications. Absolutely. Yeah, if you sell in May every single year, you're going to be paying short-term capital gains taxes, which can be pretty significant compared to your long-term. Right. I mean, as it stands today, that's taxed at your ordinary tax rate, uh, where the long-term tax rate for capital gains is only 15%. So if you're in a higher tax tax, uh, bracket, that could cause some problems for you uh, during, during tax time. 
Right. And of course, all of this is kind of like hindsight is twenty twenty. It's pretty tough. It, not even pretty tough. It is impossible to predict going forward whether this is going to continue to, to hold up. And you never really know on a given month. Um, I have read about an alternative strategy to this, which was kind of interesting, and it involved selling out of more volatile stocks uh, during that uh, summer doldrum period and buying the more stable ones during that time, which is an interesting thought. And it makes me think about how you can look at different uh, different subsectors of industries and compare them to one another to try to find the best opportunities. And when you think about whether or not parts of different sectors or even sectors as a whole are affected by cyclical trends, one of the things that stands out to me is drug makers. Because if you're making medicine, that's in demand regardless of what's going on in the macro world. So that was a very long-winded way of saying that what I want to explore next is, does this adage hold merit in healthcare? Right, because I mean, this is a healthcare investing show, right? So the people who are listening are very interested in, you know, how what happens to medical device companies and pharmaceutical companies and biotech companies. So what we went did did is we said, okay, over the last decade, um, what's happened to the the major market ETFs, exchange traded funds that track different parts of healthcare? I mean, have they have they lost ground during the sell in May period, or have they gained ground? And, and it was kind of a coin flip, Christine. I mean, if you looked at the uh, the pharmaceuticals ETF, the XPH, it was up five out of the last ten years. Um, had an average return of of a little bit less than one percent. Uh, the biotech um, ETF, the XBI, that was similarly up five out of ten, uh, with a slightly better average return of two point three five percent. So there are baskets that I, I, you know. Again, you you don't know. It's it's coin flip. But the average in the median returns, you know, I, I shouldn't necessarily scare you away. You know, the XLV again up 3.99 percent uh, on a you know from a median return uh, over the last 10 years in this period. And you know, I, so are you willing to to throw the baby out with the bathwater uh, and risk you know missing what could be a solid period of returns? Uh, I don't. I don't think you should. But I think it's important to recognize that this is going to be a period where maybe the returns won't be as as easy to come by as they would be otherwise through that November through April period. And and that's maybe a good reminder for investors to go back and look at their stocks and their portfolio and say, you know, are the catalysts the reasons why I bought this stock still intact, or has something changed? Is is there a reason? Are the reasons for owning it? St- uh, still apply? Do they still apply? And if they don't, you know, is there another stock that maybe I want to consider a different strategy for and looking to pick up if it gets weak over the summer months? Absolutely. And of course, we always recommend this sort of bottom-up analysis where you're actually looking at the companies themselves. And on this show, you hear us talk all the time about drug pipelines and strategic initiatives and what executives are up to. And that's because we care a lot more about that than what we do about share price movements or beta or any of the technical things that you'll see in other outlets. And you know that's that's how the Motley Fool does it. It has worked for us for a long time. Hopefully, if you're listening to this show, it's because you agree that it's a great way to invest. But you know, as we keep kind of saying throughout the show, it also can be kind of interesting to consider how some other. Uh, other other ideologies might look at investing and you know seeing seeing what the actual results are one thing that i think actually can come out of this in a really helpful way is looking at the different 
uh, ETFs that track the different uh, like subsectors of healthcare and trying to see how those are trading relative to their historical norms. You know, you hear a lot of people saying like biotech is really expensive. And I, I do think that that sort of analysis is also really informative. You know, is this a sector overall, you know, as compared to the S&P or just the subsectors within it compared to each other or compared to their historical norms? What what does that landscape look like? Yeah, I mean, the argument could be that the market itself is overheated, right? We've had this massive run-up since the since the Great Recession ended. Um, P's, are, you can make an argument that the market P is is a little bit extended, but at the same time, as healthcare investors, you know, our valuations really aren't that out of control. I mean, in a lot of that is due to the all of the things that we've talked about in the show previously, the political pushback on prices. And all of that other, and of course, healthcare reform and all these other things that have sent some healthcare stocks, including biotech, lower, not higher, as the market's been hitting its 52-week highs over and over again. And as a result, you know, the PE uh, for healthcare itself is cheaper than the market. Um, you know, and and so is you know, the price to sales is cheaper than the market as well. So an argument could be made that you know, healthcare isn't uh, let's say as as overheated as some other baskets, and then within healthcare, uh, biotech especially is is well off its historical PE, which really surprised uh, me. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, a lot of these stocks really got hit hard, Christine, right in 2015, and you know they're starting to build up, uh, build back up from there over the course of the last six, 12 months, but you know they remain off of those those peak valuations that we had seen. Um, maybe the, the exception there is some of the medical device stocks. Those stocks have rallied up a lot more uh, relative to where they had been previously on, on hopes that, you know, the dismantling of, of Obamacare would remove the medical device tax, et cetera. Um, so maybe that's something to keep in mind as well. But I mean, you know, to go back to what you said previously, I would much rather just focus on owning great companies at fair prices. I mean, you go back to the, the, the Buff, Buffett litmus test, right? Do you think you know? Think Warren Buffett is is out there worrying about selling May? No. Um, I don't think so. No. I think he's worrying about finding you know great companies that he can buy at fair prices. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And I, if I have companies that I really believe in, why would I want to not own them for half of the year? If I truly believe in them, I want to own them the entire year. I want to own them for years and years and years. Right. And, you know, I mean, you also had mentioned earlier in the show that, you know, you could consider getting rid of some of your volatility, your more volatile or higher risk um, parts of your portfolio. And if, if you don't, if, if again, something's changed the catalyst, I mean, this might be the right time to, to do that, to rethink the, the allocation, maybe take a little profit off the table, um, maybe, you know, write a couple puts, check in with our options ideas on the Motley Fool. Um, for some options writing strategies um, that may allow you to buy things at cheaper prices. I mean, there's ways to take advantage of the of of the market if if it does fall. Um, if you have a little bit of dry powder. Yeah, absolutely. And I think when it all comes down to it, the biggest takeaway that I have from this episode is don't listen to advice just because it rhymes. Right? Like that's not a good reason. It sounds good, and you should understand it because people do talk about it, but that that's not the end-all, be-all. So, 
There you have it. Uh, Todd, we may have just lost some listeners for the next six months, but we sure hope that we didn't and that you all will be back next week for our next episode of Industry Focus Healthcare. As always, people on the program may have interests in the stocks that they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. The show is produced by Austin Morgan. For Todd Campbell, I'm Christine Hargis. Thanks for listening and Fool on! Fool on!